Welcome to the Ocean Cruises podcast hosted by Andy H. This week we are speaking with James Frederick from the YouTube sailing channel SV Trisher. James, who is commonly known as James the Sailor Man, is an author and an artist from California. He has traveled the world studying different cultures and interpretations of art and has learned sailing along the way. He is now a licensed commercial skipper and the owner of a 1965 Alberg 30. James has completely refit his classic sailboat and has documented the whole refit on YouTube, as well as his solo sailing expeditions, which most recently has taken him from California to Hawaii. Cruising the world and writing his second book is how James spends his time aboard. You can learn more about James on his YouTube channel, Sailing SV Trisha. Follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and download the audio on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. The Ocean Cruises podcast will be hosting their first annual charter in October of 2021. Hosted by Sail with George Charters in the beautiful island of Syros in Greece. Joining us on a fabulous 56-foot ocean star sailing yacht will be our ocean cruisers, Mandy and Alex of Sea the Little Things, Maddie and Herbie of The Rigging Doctor, Michael and Joel of Bums on a Boat, Judy and Steve of Sailing Fur Isle, and Josh Post. Follow us on our Instagram and Facebook pages for regular updates and make sure you are following our guests' YouTube channels to watch their coverage and keep your eye on our YouTube page for a full series of The Charter. Um, yeah, good. I mean, the trade winds, I understand after that passage, even with my complications, man, trade wind sailing is so chill. <laughs> it's yeah, just it's like very reliable boring, and constant. And also in the Pacific, we have almost no weather compared to the Atlantic. Yeah. Like the water's so warm in the Atlantic. It's like no joke with storms and, and the squalls are serious. Pacific mm. is, I mean, there's a reason it was called the Pacific. <laughs> it's very, very yeah. chill. Yeah, it looks it looks really nice. We've got um, well, we're, we're so we're crossing the Atlantic in um, December, not on my boat, um, on a friend's boat. So yeah, you, you've got about four months to get over there. Um, and yeah, anything outside of those four months, you're gonna get bad, bad weather. <laughs> like yeah. very bad weather. Yeah, you just don't do it. I think like November to February is safe, and outside of that, just completely avoid it. Uh, some people yeah. do, and then you know they die. The boats don't make it, so <laughs> yeah, and, you know you learn the lessons from those guys. Yeah, cool. So I think probably just in terms of like the um, the podcasts and stuff, I think I really want to talk about like the crossing you did and um, okay. the challenges that you had on that crossing because you did have like quite quite a few big yeah. challenges. For and, sure. um, and then just like just what brought you to that point as well, like the history behind you know, your sailing career and, and what got you there. Um, so, yeah, maybe just start off with that, actually. Just, like, what actually got you into sailing? What was the first time you sailed and, and what got you hooked? Okay, so I found my way to sailing kind of by accident. Um, I'd actually been interested in sailing from many years ago based on the fact that I went camping in Big Sur. This was, like, early 2000s. And I remember waking up in this gorgeous location in Big Sur, California, and somebody was in a tent next to us blasting music on their boombox. And I was like, this is terrible. And I was like, <laughs> I want to get up. And I didn't understand how sailing works. So I was like, I'm going to get a boat and like go on the ocean and drop my anchor. And then I'm going to wake up, have coffee in silence and beautiful nature. 
And um, so that was like the first time I ever thought about the idea of like traveling by boat to go to remote, beautiful locations where other people might not be. And um, so then in 2014, um, I was, I'd been pursuing a career as an artist for about a decade. And I was invited to be an artist in residence on a sailboat in Northern Scotland in the Orkney Isles. And um, so I went there, it was, they had three artists on board, a marine biologist, and then um, the captain and her son who were the sailors. And basically it's like, we explored the Orkney Isles and then the artist made work to see what would come out of that environment and the marine biologist and we all worked together on stuff. And, um, but basically when I stepped on and off of that boat, my life was changed forever. Like when I left that boat, I was like, I didn't care about pursuing an art career at all. I was like, this is what I want to do. This is something completely magical that I didn't even know existed. It was like time travel. And so, and literally when I got back to Los Angeles, that's all I did was start pursuing a life of sailing. What type of boat was that? That, that was like a... It was a, a custom, it was the um, right. sa- sailing yacht Selkie. Um, and uh, they have they have an Instagram account and stuff. Celia Bull is the captain who taught me everything. It was a high latitudes custom aluminum boat with a lifting keel. Right. And um, like the funny thing is at the time, I learned crazy stuff that would have cost me a fortune had I paid for a charter. Like we anchored every single night and we went to all these remote islands and, you know, beach landings and just like crazy, crazy, like true adventure sailing stuff that I had no idea was like, I was like, Oh, this is cool. This is what sailing is. But it was like on the top level from someone who had sailed. I think she'd been to Antarctica four or five times and she'd sailed to South Georgia and just crazy like she'd done cape horn i think five times on different boats as crew so this is the captain that taught me how to do everything so i was i didn't realize like i was being like mentored by this total like badass (laughs) so yeah yeah. so that was like my grant that's like the baseline for me as to what i wanted to do um and uh yeah (laughs) pretty awesome yeah that explains why you why well why you wanted to sail to Alaska anyway. I know I know you. Oh yeah, put like, a little bit there. I would I could spend years doing high latitude sailing if I had if I had the right type of vessel. Like I'm very interested in high latitude sailing. Yeah, I've got a question. So you you were you were brought on board a sailboat to do art. Naturally, mm-hmm. I'd imagine you need a pretty uh, stable surface to paint. Um, how, how does that work? <laughs> You're on a boat, um, and you you. But yeah, actually, so I, um, when I was in, invited and proposed what work I was going to do for the residency is I made a drawing machine. Um, so there was a wheeled platter that had a, a circle paper on it. And I made this whole machine. Right. And basically it had a fixed pin and the, mm. the, the wheel platter would move beneath the pin. So I created abstract drawings based on our movements as we sailed from one island to another. And then at the end, I had like seven drawings that I had framed and then exhibited in Los Angeles. So that so the drawing was the passage. It was the motion yeah. of the boat on the ocean. Exactly. So the boat and the sea were creating the drawing. So my hand was removed from it, which is something I was always interested in. The idea of like documentation, whether it be, you know, literal or abstract. 
And um, yeah. and then I also did these pendulum drawings all over where I would just hang a pin in my berth and then mm. let it just kind of sketch across my notepad. And then, yeah. Where did you get the idea for that? I mean, that's, that's really uh, unique. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I have lots of wacky ideas. <laughs> so and I've been producing art and I'm, I'm like, yeah, I mean, I worked in and around the art world for 20 years. And so I, I'm pretty well educated on kind of all mediums of art. And um, yeah, I've always just been interested in in sort of like mark making and and also yeah. removing my hand. Like I, I did music for many years where I did a lot of my work was like field recording. So I would make a recording of natural environments and then yeah. present them out of context and, and you can't quite tell what's happening or what you're listening to. So that's the same sort of idea to where it's like the hand is removed, the context is removed, and then you're left with something abstract that you're not sure what you're checking out. That's really interesting. Who pays for that type of stuff? Is, was that like the owner of the vessel or was it a university or something? It was, um, that one was organized by a, a nonprofit organization called the Clipperton Project that specifically liked to pair artists, marine biologists, our scientists and sailors together. And um, previously to that, I'd done one in Russia that was paid for by the National Center for Contemporary Arts in St. Petersburg. Um, so just different organizations. Yeah. So who, who usually is it? Is it like some rich people somewhere want something incredibly unique and, and they want to get a different set of ideas or? Yeah. Like, what, I mean, a lot of that, the funding comes from um, benefactors who are interested in culture and supporting culture. And um, which is far greater in Europe than the United States. Um, Imagine there's yeah. a lot more funding in Europe. Like they believe, like in the U.S., artists are considered like like loafers or something. But my experience <laughs> in Europe, you know, I, I like toured Europe doing music for years all through the '90s, and um, mm. they really appreciate art. You know, it's like an important aspect. Um, but in the United States, it's frowned upon. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I can't really think, it, I mean, if you think of like American artists, it's usually people who've been around for like the last hundred years, you know, who've existed in like modern pop culture, the ones who were really famous. Um, I don't know, is, is there any artists from like the times of the founders or anything like that? Like, you know, somebody painting the guys writing the constitution or anything. Is, is there anybody like that? Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But not, you know, it. it's like, it's like a you know a white household names yeah yeah exactly right yeah, yeah. i mean Just obviously what, what? like europe was you know culture in europe has a long history and the united mm. states um we're s such a young country that it took a minute to kind of establish that yeah we're we're, uh, we're based in uh, malaga in spain so we've got uh, picasso here. well he's not anymore well he, he might be somewhere yeah. but he's, he's not he's not painted anymore uh so yeah we've got i like, got the picasso museum here as well and um yeah is, is there is there any particular type of art from your that you like or or is it is it just doing your own thing uh i mean i yeah i like i like a wide variety of art <laughs> you yeah. know that's like the yeah picasso that's, stuff that's, is pretty trippy yeah i mean every, yeah it's like he was very prolific and um, he um, he was very important from to the art world, you know. And it's not necessarily easy to 
look at something and, and necessarily appreciate it unless you have like a kind of a, a wider idea of what, what came before that, what came after that mm. and what went into it. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, it's, uh, a lot of it has to do with like, I don't know, there's like probably quite a bit of literature that I wouldn't understand or appreciate because I didn't understand the background of where it came from. But yeah. had I become educated on the subject of whatever literature, whatever that literature was, was referencing, then I would be like, oh, okay, I have a different understanding of this. Yeah. I think it's an important thing with art, probably something I've not really come to appreciate too much. But yeah, I think understanding like the social aspects of what they might have been aiming for as well, or, you know, like what was going on in the country at the time and, you know, did that affect like the type of work or what was going on in society? So yeah, pr probably a lot more, a lot more into it than I'd give it a bit of, uh, yeah. bit of credit and for. Like an, like an easy sort of point of reference. I mean, everybody has their own ideas, but my personal feeling that is that art exists for the sole purpose of giving you an emotional reaction, whether that's good or bad. If it affects you, then it's done something. And the idea that maybe you could see something and be like, wow, and maybe it gives you a different idea of something else or remind you of something, or maybe it, it, it hits your heart in a certain way because of the lights and shadows that makes you have a memory of a specific place, anything like that. So, and a good point of reference is like, if you just see like Jackson Pollock work, which everyone, especially in the eighties, it was like splatter paint is so corny, right? But if you understand that when Jackson Pollock started making splatter paintings, like that had never been done. So yeah, yeah. we saw it so oversaturated in popular culture that we have like a sort of glassed over reaction to it. But if you think about the idea of doing something that no one has done is very difficult. <laughs> um, yeah. And like his earliest work, I believe from like one of his earliest works from 1956 was called Five Cockatoos. And it was like weird shapes of birds in this splatter thing. So it was a transition from like traditional painting into this thing that he created on its own. And again, like most people are gonna be like, that's ridiculous. But mm. if it creates a reaction, then there's something of value in that. Yeah, that's the intention of it. Yeah. Do you do you still do you still practice art? Or because I I know um I know you said you more or less you oh you said you did stop once you really got into sailing and that's what you wanted to dedicate your life to. Uh, yeah. Do you still do any of it? Um I just uh I don't specifically no because i have enough stuff to make <laughs> i enjoy making yeah, things like, that's always just, been my yeah. case yeah so my thing is like i really enjoy i need to make things um yeah. and i i'm i edit every single day videos for youtube um so yeah there's no shortage of like making things and also i'm working on three books right now so mm -hmm. for me it's like and that's one of the way I like keep my demons at bay is staying busy. So yep. for me, it's about making things, whether it's fine art or whether it's vlogging and sharing my life with the world. You know? Yeah. So imagine you've, you've just come off this like ginormous expedition sailboat up in the Arctic. What, what then brought you to the point of deciding to get like a 30 foot sailboat 
and living on it? Um, extensive amounts of reading. Right. Like reading every <laughs> single every thing I could. Book. Yeah, I mean, just I read everything I could to learn, you know, like what made sense for me. The key factors to the boat, this is, I'm sitting on SB Tritea, 1965, Albert 30 sailboat, um, 30 foot, full keel, encapsulated keel, not cord, solid fiberglass. Yeah. So one of the key things when I was looking for a boat through all my research was I, I knew I wanted to go everywhere in the world. So it had to be a blue water boat. I was only looking for boats that were pre-1972 because I didn't want a cord boat. Um, and yeah, I, I knew that. I was always gonna be poor. So I was like, well, I don't want a boat that's gonna delaminate. So <laughs> that was one of <laughs> like, these like, and uh, that, that was the other thing is like, I didn't, when I was shopping, I didn't think I could afford a 30 foot boat. So I was looking at Tritons primarily was like, I was like, this is oh, the yeah. closest thing to perfect. And then I stumbled on this boat in like a barn find situation where it hadn't left the slip in six years and it had a seized engine and I bought it for $2,400. And um, that left me a lot wow. of my, the rest of my budget over so I could immediately start the refit. Um, Cause I was like, I had like, I would contacted a surveyor about looking at like a double ender in San Francisco Bay um, the same week that I found this boat. And um, so yeah, and the boat, she had good bones. She, her engine was seized, but I pulled the engine. We found a beautifully rebuilt Yanmar 2 GM20F engine that I put in. And um, within three months, I had her sailing again. Did you need to get, did you need to put a new mast on that? Or did, did you just I, I put, I didn't need to, but I put a new mast, everything on just before I left. Right. Like this year, I did a custom double, double spreader mast. I made it two mm. feet shorter than the original mast. And um, it has a, a Solent stay and a roller furler, double spreader, dedicated trisail track, kind of, and a much more robust mast. And um, yeah, everything for like serious ocean cruising. Yeah. So, so when did you actually buy that? Um, 2017, April of 2017. Right, okay. So you, cause I know, cause you, I remember you were putting up videos like, I mean, years back now, but this was when you were like tickling around the boat in, I, I presume it was like the California area, like the Channel Islands, I think. Stuff yeah, like yeah, Los Angeles. Yeah. So I got the boat sailing again within three months. Um, so I bought her in April nice. and by the week of Christmas, I was already solo sailing Santa Cruz Island, which is um, one of the Northern Channel Islands in California. And those right. islands have no facilities and there's no mooring. So it's all anchoring. So this yeah. boat didn't have an anchor lock or anything. So I had to really get it set up for Siri and it really, the wind can howl up there. So you have to be prepared. Um, but yeah, so I spent nine days circumnavigating Santa Cruz Island, you know, like eight months or seven months after I had bought the boat and um, had a great time. So that was like your introduction into proper sailing by yourself, really? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that was the first time I'd ever done yeah. any self sailing. I'd done quick trips to Catalina Island, which is real safe and easy and only like 22 miles yeah. away. But yeah, that was definitely my first, you know, and like anchoring by, I anchored a ton with Celia Bull <laughs> telling me what to do. But this yeah. was the first time I had ever done it. And um, yeah, it was pretty nerve wracking at first. But the key to anchoring <laughs> is like having the proper ground tackle and scope. It's like I preach scope all day long. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you've got the space, just let it out. <laughs> it's only yep. going to save you if, if some gusts come. Yeah. So, yeah. so were you were you pretty savvy with uh, like the mechanic side of it? I mean, I know obviously you're good creatively with your hands and your mind because you're an artist, but when it came to like putting a new engine in and, and you know, refitting the electronics, how, how did that come about to you? Yeah, I'm, yeah, I can do any of that stuff. So I've always owned, I've never owned like a new car. I've, I've had tons of vintage cars and trucks and I only rode vintage motorcycles for years and I rebuilt all of those. So that stuff's an easy kind of transfer over. And um, yeah, and going back to what I mentioned earlier, like I've always been poor, so I've always had to do stuff myself. So that helps. <laughs> but I also say that the majority of stuff I've learned in my adult life, I learned watching YouTube videos. So yeah. that's one of the big reasons I do how-to videos on YouTube because I feel like I need to give back like I have a funny memory of like I had a 1971 Dodge Dart and my engine I couldn't get up a hill because I need to do a valve adjustment because the engine was having trouble slant six. Mm -hmm. I pulled over on the side of the road and you have to do a valve adjustment on a slant six with the engine running. And I was like watching oh, right. my phone, the YouTube, and I was like, did the valve adjustment, you know, while the mm -hmm. engine's running. So yeah. Why do you have to do it while the engine's running? Do what? Why why'd you have to do it while the engine's running? With slant sixes, you have to. Oh, right. Oh, no. Okay. And it's like, and you're like sliding the feeler in. It's like real. You're trying to get the wrench on while the while it's moving. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's re so real scary. So things going up and down. You're having to like put the feeler gauge. Yeah, you like get the boxer wrench well, on. It's very funny. Yeah, that'd be pretty terrifying. I wouldn't. <laughs> Mind you, it's only yeah. small. It's not a ginormous thing. So I suppose it'd make a difference. Yeah, that kind of makes sense. All right, cool. Right. So at, at what point did you decide that? you wanted to turn that into a, a lifestyle of actually traveling around the world. Cause you know, I, I imagine doing a bit of art on a boat and enjoying it and wanting to get a boat and sail around California is one thing, but, but to the point where you are, you know, taking yourself halfway across like, the biggest ocean on the planet, that's like, that's next level, man. I decided that when I was on S Y Selkie in the Orkneys, Oh wow. I was like, I'm gonna, you know, especially like I found out that, 80% of the countries in the world you can reach by the sea or by a sea. Mm. And I was like, yeah. travel by the wind. What? And like they say, sailing is like the most expensive way to get anywhere for free. Um, but yeah, so that was so. for me, I was like, wow, this is, and also the, I don't know, I'm very romantic. So the idea of like coming into foreign ports and reaching these exotic places just by the wind and with the elements to me, that is like, unbelievable it still yeah, blows nice. my mind like sailing across the pacific i was just like i've been sailing for 32 days by a breath of wind that is fascinating yeah was it that that got you hooked on it like that that the, the part of sailing where it's literally just the earth is just transporting you from one place to the next that and like just the it felt like time travel like mm. it still feels like time travel like and I, I know this, I've noticed, I've, I've mentioned this in the past, but on that, when we were in the Orkneys, we sailed, we'd been sailing through pea soup fog for all day. It was terrifying. And um, we came into this, the ancient seaport of Stromness on the Orkney mainland. And I remember watching this, like these cathedrals and this village, like seaport village kind of come out of the fog as we came into the anchorage. And then our anchor dropping and hearing the chain rattle out. And I see just like this diffused ancient seaport. I was like, 
this yeah. is amazing. And I have a photo of it. It's a terrible photo, but I see it and my heart swells because I'm like, that is uh, so cool. <laughs> and so yeah. like that was really the moment where I was like, I have to adventure by sail. Like this is something really remarkable. Yeah, it gives you access to stuff that you literally cannot access by any other means. Um, especially sure. when it comes to like bays and anchorages where it's not only that there's no roads, but it's even potentially like dangerous to try and get there on foot. But you can just pull up in a sailboat and you've literally got one of the most beautiful places on earth and there's nobody around you. And like, that it's pretty, it's pretty special. It is. It's impossible to describe. But yeah, and that's yeah. like, especially when I was in doing so much in Southern California, I tried to encourage so many local sailors who were used to just doing day sales or picking up a mooring. I was like, you need to like, you need to learn how to anchor. It's going to open everything up for you. And um, mm. it really does. There's like, there's nothing like waking up in the morning in a peaceful anchorage and sitting in the cockpit, having coffee yeah. and being like, I can't believe this is my life. Yeah. I love it. You know, like we, it's so, so where we're based about, about six, about six, six to eight hours sail from where we are. There's like multiple bays where there's just no one there. Um, you can just pull up. You've just got, you know, mountains, cliff faces. Um, there's no one else around. Nobody ever on the beaches. Uh, and I always sleep in the cockpit. Like I'll never go inside the boat to go to sleep. So I just thought, I just want to look up. I want to look around. I want to smell what's going on. <laughs> and then as soon as I wake up, I just want to smell what's going on as well. For sure. Yeah, just, just, just being in that environment is like, well, it's amazing. Um, because like, I know that you're based in LA as well. So it's like, if you've lived that type of life where you're in, I mean, LA is like crazy. That's so hustle and bustle. I, I've generally been based in a city, but to go from that to the escape of absolute silent tranquility, it, it's like it fixes your mind. It's, it's brilliant what it does to you. It's like a weekend on the boat. It, it feels like you've been away for a month, like completely rejuvenates you. That's the thing about, especially like you're saying about Los Angeles, is like Catalina Island is 22 miles from the mainland and there are anchorages on the front side of Catalina across from one of the biggest cities in the world and there's no one there. Like you're by yourself and how that's possible, I have no idea, but it's incredible. And, and it's really great for people who can't live the life that I'm living to be able to just take a weekend and have this quality of life that seems like you, it's unreachable but it's not yeah. on a certain scale. And so that's like, you know, mostly it's like people just don't realize. And the key is like, you need to know how to anchor properly so that you yourself and your vessel and your family are safe, but it's not difficult and it is within reach. And just, you, you've just, I think you've got to have either friends that are into it because it's like it's, it's, sailing is one of two things. It's either people who like at the weekend to go out on a boat and sail, they're interested in regattas, that type of stuff, or somebody who actually wants to travel and want to cruise on a sailboat. Like I was having a conversation with a couple of my friends the other day on WhatsApp, and we were, talk, we were talking about the different types of anchors that you can get. And I was like, if you walk around my marina, like half the boats don't even have anchors on them. And, yeah. you know, the half that do, they might have an anchor, which is literally half the size <laughs> that it should be to hold the boat in like 10 knots of wind. Um, For sure. Yeah, I know the last marina I was at, they threw some insane statistic out and it was like 97 or 96 percent of boats did not leave the marina in 2018. I believe that I've seen it in every marina I've ever been in, you know. And I don't know why people would have the expense of like keeping their boats 
but it's mm-hmm. every marina I've ever, and I've been in a lot of marinas and it's, you'll see like so few people going out. It's wild. And, and yeah. again, it's like, sometimes life is, you know, for most people, life just gets away from you. So it's like, maybe they're like every weekend, they're like this weekend, I'm going out for sure. But you know, if you have responsibilities, you have a family, you have a job. It's like, you know, for me, like I, I don't have, I have a very small family of just brothers and I don't have any, <laughs> I don't, I don't have any obligations. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. for me, I can live this lifestyle, but for other people, I understand like life can get in the way, but also people should find time if they have, sure. have, have a boat because it is a quality of life. It is like a soul cleansing experience, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, to be like, in my opinion, if, if you have the type of life where, oh, it's always getting away from you, it's like you should make more of an effort. That's the type of person who could potentially break down at some point. You know what I mean? They're never taking the weekend off. It's like even if yeah. you've got kids and that's that's a hassle, like getting the kids out on the boat, That that's a very nice thing to do with your children. <laughs> you know? Like yeah. go to like some remote type of island. And, you know, it's like that. I mean, everybody has certain images that they remember from the childhood. And like, wouldn't it be so cool of like that one image you remember of your dad or your mum? It's like in front of you know, like Catalina Island, for example, and you're on a sailboat and you're catching a fish. Like that is that's what childhood memories are all about. So and yeah, and I've had so, <laughs> so many people reach out to me about videos that I made around Southern California. They're like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, this took me back to my childhood. Like, thank you so much. Like yeah. it really affected me. And yeah but the, and and speaking again of like the cultural differences between europe and the united states like in europe it's not uncommon for people to take all of august off and like yeah. actually go live you know where in the states that's like if you get a week off you know you're lucky you know so again it's yeah. like these cultural differences that um that come down to like quality of life to, in my opinion yeah the europe is pro mainland the uk is more like us where it's like quite business oriented they've got like strong protections for workers and stuff but uh europe is super chilled out especially the mediterranean countries like italy spain i mean if anything you wish they'd do a bit more work like <laughs> quite often yeah you know, oh no i've, I've, no, I've tried to get i've tried to go shopping in spain in the afternoon i'm like what is happening there's oh, no yeah, one around. It. nothing's open yeah, yeah. It's just no, you can't eat. Like between the hours of like, I don't know, three o'clock and eight, there's no food around. <laughs> oh, I know. I found that out the hard way in Barcelona and uh, and Valencia. Yeah. 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 You're just going to struggle. Um, so, yeah. But, you know, at the same time, it's like I look at the way culture is going in the West and it makes me appreciate these old fashioned ways of family values a bit more like. It's like when you go to some some of the older towns in like Spain or Greece or Italy or France or wherever you're like, oh, you know, they're still perhaps going to church or they're still always doing family Sundays and that type of thing. And it's like when you look at the opposite of that, which is such an advancement in culture where you've got like nine year olds who are obsessed with TikTok. It's like, if anything, that's just like better. Do you know what I mean? Like get everybody moving back towards that. I don't know. Well, anyway, I, yeah. might, to be honest, man, if, you, if, you're, if you're into history and these, you know, like the Channel Islands, for example, I know we were just talking about that before as well. Um, you might actually love sailing around the Med. Oh, I have. I, I plan on like taking a copy of the Odyssey and going to every location. <laughs> like, oh, nice. For okay. sure. When I end up in the Med, like I have like I'm obsessed with like Greek mythology and stuff. So I'll be I'll be stoked to like yeah, really dive into that. So, yeah. 
Yeah, we're we're over to Greece in uh, ten days. Yeah, we've got like uh, we've got a week charter in um, in uh, well Syros and we're doing like Mykonos and that type of stuff and like meeting up with a few boats and um, it's just insane. Like you you can you can drop anchor and in front of you is like a, a monument that's like two and a half thousand years old. Yeah, and, I know, love that. Have been, uh, it's crazy. It's you know like. It's difficult to like kind of put it into context to like any other type of place on earth, really, because it's like you've got beautiful islands like, like Thailand. Um, you know, you can go to Indonesia where you've just got islands, but you don't have like statues and cathedrals and, you know, 100 foot tall monuments on them that have been there for like so, so long. Um, it's just awe inspiring. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's so cool. But um, yeah, I think if you like the idea of uh, pulling into like the old port and stuff, you really like the med. Have you thought about getting there? And how you would go oh i'll be there i mean during yeah when i circumnavigate i'll go there for sure because i plan on just i'm just slowly going to check my way around the earth you know and yeah. um like n- you know no hard timeline or anything like i'll work i'll sail until i run out of money and then i'll stop and work and then continue sailing yeah yeah it's the best way <laughs> best yeah. way to do it I'd so all right so just like going back because we're like we're way into the future now um right okay just going back so you've um you've got the boat ready because I, I know because I've, I've watched your videos for quite a while so i know like the process that you went through i mean i i, I know that you accelerated your plans to go cruising a little bit because of covid and you did your refit and stuff like that and i know you set off on the journey and then you had that like serious issue with your hydrovane um at what point did you decide like now is the time to go and you put you know the passage plan in place well yeah so so my first attempt at hawaii um had been planned out the original plan was i was to leave sail solo to hawaii and then be in hawaii a week or two and then sail solo from there to alaska um and at that point when I left, my wife was uh, going to drive across country with our dog and our truck and, all, and a bunch of our keepsakes, take them to her mom's house in the Midwest, see her family, go to the East Coast, visit family. And then they were going to fly, her and the dog were going to fly from there to Alaska to meet me. And then we were going to be cruising full time. And um, so then when I left, I was like five days out. And my um, it's actually my wind vane was a sail mat a vintage 1972 sail mat wind vane. It failed started like ripping off the back of the boat because all the mounting bolt, like they stripped out because it's like cast aluminum housing. Um, and so it starts like trying to find its way off the boat. I lashed it to the boat and sailed for three more days with it tied to the boat with a line. And um, so that, you know, so that kind of killed that attempt. And then it, the season was getting late and all kinds of stuff. So I got back to Catalina. My wife has, was still in Southern California at the time. She brought me the pup. And then she went across country to do what we originally planned. And then she was just going to come back. And then we were going to make our way up to San Francisco and just cruise the California coast until hurricane season for Mexico was done. And then start, you know, head to to Mexico for a full year. And um, while she was gone, um, the night before she was supposed to come back, she texted me that she was leaving me. And um, she, uh, yeah. So That's when she came back, took everything off the boat, took the dog and, you know, she, you know, she just, I think what happened was she, she just realized she got cold feet or just decided this wasn't the life for her. Or maybe she had just been unhappy and 
hadn't like communicated that because it was very abrupt, very shocking and kind of out of nowhere. Um, but either way, it's like, if she wasn't happy, then obviously that wasn't for her. And this is a hard life. So I understand, you know, and like COVID was really hard on her because she was, she's a social person. Um, mm. So none of it is really shocking. You know what I mean? Like I've been in enough relationships to where, you know, things, things don't always last. And, um, but it was very, very shocking to me. And, you know, obviously I was crushed, like heartbroken. So did you ever have that chat with her to like actually figure out what she wouldn't speak to me about it? She wouldn't speak to me on the phone. She wouldn't take any phone calls. She wouldn't answer my questions in email. She just like, you know, and then she sent me a long email when she returned to Los Angeles and was like, made it very clear. There was nothing I could do. And so at that point, like, well, this is like a hope. There's no reason for me to like, you know, like, harass her about it because she's made up her mind mm. and I, I still have no idea what happened but maybe it doesn't matter that i don't know <laughs> i mean it's just I, I the reality, it's yeah, just the reality you know i mean yeah it was um yeah and again not shocking but i wish you'd handled it differently um but so then she came I helped her take everything off the boat and then she was gone. Just like that was it gone forever <laughs> vaporized from my life. And um, what, what, what did that do to your, I mean, cause obviously you've like, you were, you, I mean, you, you mentally you'd already gone and you were already in this new life because you, you, you left, you had this issue with your hydrovane, you came back um, yeah. and you were literally ready to go. So you were, you were still gone in your mind. You know I mean? You'd already started. Um yeah, like, yeah, because we left our slip and everything. Journey. We didn't have, any, yeah, we were we left our slip and everything. So we were just like me and the pup were doing like loops of Catalina. We were exploring a bunch of anchorages we'd never done because I'm writing a cruising guide for Southern California. Yeah, yeah. So we went and checked out a bunch of those and stuff. But we were kind of just like hopping around waiting for her to return. And mm-hmm. yeah, when when I got the email, the boat was provisioned for the passage north. There was 47 gallons of fuel on board. I had fixed everything that had failed on the the Hawaii attempt. So to say that, I mean, basically it's like I closed my eyes and I woke up. My life was total rubble. Like, yeah, it's com- it's com- and I was just like the very structure of my life had been destroyed. Um, mm. So, yeah. And well, what, what I was very much in love with her. So it's not like, it's not like we had fought leading up to it. There hadn't been yeah. like a year of battles. So it was, and I'm a very logical person. So the thing that was the most tormenting is trying to understand what had happened, yeah, which now it's like, I've come to the terms with the fact that, well, maybe it, it doesn't matter. Maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe, yeah. maybe me yeah. knowing doesn't matter because it's not going to change anything, you know? Yeah. It wouldn't make a difference at that point. I, I'm yeah. a big believer in like, you know, whatever happens is meant to happen for a specific reason. No, I'm not a religious person or anything like that, but mm-hmm. I think, you know, we've, we've, we've all got a journey that we need to follow and, and we'll get there no matter what. Um, but yeah. What, what did that do to you mentally from the point of the actual trip and the life that you just started? Because I mean, I mean you're ob- obviously, can't... obviously you're on the boat and you're ready to go. Half of the shit is there. And then it, w- was it just like, okay, cool. I'm still going. This, this is what I'm meant to no, do. It, so, no, it like destroyed me. 
I was completely destroyed. But once she removed everything, the next morning, I woke up having coffee, like in a quiet boat alone without her or the dog. And like, I was like, what life am I in now? Mm. And I was just like, and I actually started writing the book I'm working on now that morning from that moment. And I was like, the boat is ready. It's a little late season to go to Hawaii, but like, there's no reason I shouldn't just put to sea because I couldn't, I couldn't imagine like crawling up the California coast. Like we were supposed to alone. I'd already, I've already done the California coast several times and she has not. So I was like, all I could think like, as far as like therapeutic for my soul and my heart was like, I just need to be away from everyone. Cause I mean, tons of friends and loved ones reached out to me and I just was like, I just need to be alone, you know, which I don't know was, I don't know that it was the best idea mentally or from, you know, I think that forced for solitary confinement like that was, it makes you sit with it in a different way. So, and, and that sort of like breakup is almost like, like, like the same kind of grief as losing someone, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, of course. Like someone dying. It's almost like dealing with a death because it's just like the person that you've been with every second for years is just gone. Mm. Um, so I definitely think that it forced me to sort of like sit in the feelings and think through things in a way maybe I wouldn't have if I'd been distracted by friends and loved ones on shore. But, um, yeah. and that, you know, so for me, it's like I decided that next morning I was like, I'm going to push for Hawaii. And I didn't tell anyone besides my brothers and a couple of close friends. And I gave myself like 12 days, I think, to get my head straight, to make sure that I was like in a safe place mentally yeah, you were good to, to do say. this. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, I need at least 12 days to make, okay, I'm being responsible. The boat's ready. Everything's ready. So then when, yeah, then when the day came, I was like, yeah, I just was like, okay, let's do it. <laughs> And pushed off. Yeah, that's amazing, mate. Because uh, I couldn't have done that. <laughs> I, I've yeah. been through a similar thing, and um, I, I I went the complete opposite route. I was just like bar, whiskey, smoke. You know, yeah. <laughs> that's which I think is the way like ninety nine percent of people deal with that type of shit. Um, you, yeah. you know, they usually go to like whatever substance takes the mind off. You know, dealing with the problem. But um, yeah, yeah, respect to you for. I mean, for getting through that so quickly and then also like putting yourself in a situation where, I mean, it depends what type of person you are. You know, if, you, if you're the type of person who is good with your own thoughts and you can come to your own conclusions in, in you know, like a, a sensible way, then yes, I suppose like the 30 days at sea was a good thing. Um, and you seem fine now, so it works. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously like my heart still hurts, but um with there, yeah, there are certain factors that happened when I reached landfall that I was like, it kind of neutralized a lot of it for me. But mm. it was like, you know, a pretty intense month <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. Without the heartache, there's like so many layers of um, taking it, turning it up to 11. 
Yeah, I mean, to be honest, the journey in itself would have been enough to like, drive just the physical aspects of the journey, not not your mental state of mind, to say the least, but like the physical aspects of that. Uh, yeah, I, I was I was following your journey on Instagram, and then when the um, so you said it was your brother who was posting. It was your brother, yeah. yeah. And and then when they posted this thing, and it was just like, oh, something's happened to the rudder. I was like, this guy just cannot catch a break. Like Jesus. Yeah, you know, like the hydro veins come off. He's like his life's, you know, taking a turn for the worst. His rudder's fallen off, and he's like thousands of miles away. I was like, oh my god. Yeah, that. And I said on on the passage video towards the end of it, I laughed and I was like, I kept thinking, I was like, man, Neptune's making me earn this first solo passage, man. He like, yeah, yeah, for sure. Put, put me through the paces on it for sure. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, that it's. I mean, I don't know what. Yeah, obviously, the worst thing is. You know, an alien zaps a whole free boat. You know, something, or you know, like you do. You, what was that horrible sailing film where the guy like smashes into a shipping container? And All is lost. Yeah, yeah, that one. Yeah, um, yeah, that's that's probably the worst. But failing that, yeah, definitely, like your, um, you know, your steering system just completely turned into shit. But um, the, the, yeah, that, I, that I video that... Of, of your crossing is amazing to watch. It, it's. It's like it's incredibly tranquil because it's a really nice crossing. But in terms of like what you had to do to actually survive in a way, because you could have died like that, without doubt. Um, I mean, I know you've got like technology and you've got the GPS systems and you've got your Iridium going all that type of stuff. But um, that is for, for the majority of people, that would be the type of situation where they maybe just could not have got home. Um, yeah. And like you, you pulled sure. out some serious share with, bag <laughs> with that one. Yeah. And it's like, the only time I was worried about dying was on the second, the second time I dove on the boat. And for anyone that's watching this that doesn't understand, uh, know kind of what we're talking about, on my passage from Los Angeles, um, just over halfway, I was a thousand miles from Hawaii, I struck, at some point I struck a submerged object with my rudder lashed hard to starboard, and it damaged the rudder that led to its ultimate failure. Um, and, um, so then I found myself a thousand miles from Hawaii with no steerage and, uh, yeah. <laughs> and <Especially>. so, <laughs> yeah. So then I was like, I say adrift. I wasn't technically adrift cause I was sailing. I just couldn't control the direction of which I was sailing. So what I was mm. underway, but, but not under control, I was sailing due South. And that's the other thing I was like, if I can't figure out something, the only next land is Antarctica. So, you know, this is not a good situation. <laughs> so yeah. the second, you know, the third day in, oh no, the second day in to the rudder failure, I, I did my second dive on the boat with scuba gear. And that's the only point to where I thought, oh, I might die because it was so difficult being drugged behind the boat even though all the sails were down the boat was still moving forward and the seas were significant and the wind was still blowing that mm -hmm. i was my holding on and my arms pinged out so hard that they were just like locked solid and i realized i was like i might not be able to get back on the boat and yeah. so i quickly got out of my gear and used what strength i had left to get back on the boat and that was the only point where i was like oh that's not good <laughs> Um, but other than that, my main concern was that I would have to call for rescue, like set off my EPIRB or, I mean, I have Iridium Ghost, so I could have contacted my shore team and had them contact the Coast Guard. And then the Coast Guard would have asked a cargo ship to swing by and pick me up. But if yeah. I did that, then I would have to sink my boat. 
And I remember sitting in the cockpit, imagining my boat filling with water. And I was like, this boat is perfect. Like the only thing is wrong is like the rudder, you know? Yeah. And I just like that vision of like seeing my boat sink as I stand on the deck of whatever ship swung by and saved me was like, just my stomach fell out. So yeah. luckily I had a, a really good shore team. Um, Captain David Stovall and Captain Noah Pepper talked me through the possibility of setting up steering by drogue. I happen to have a drogue on board and all the gear to do it. And so I steered by drogue solo for 1,000 miles, 18 days. That's nuts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is so crazy. That is yeah. Nuts. Oh, yeah, crazy. and once I got the hang of it, it actually held a tighter course than my wind vane was without it previous. Like, if you look at the tracker, when there was above 10 knots of wind, she sailed such a straight line. It was fascinating. So, and then follow up, I did a video on my YouTube channel explaining how to sail with a drogue because I've never even heard of the process before I had yeah, yeah. to use it in real life. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, hopefully I can educate other sailors to be able to set up this system before they do offshore passages in case something happens, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, like definitely for, for when I'm getting around to that situation and I'm taking the boat out and I'm, I'm the skipper and we're doing offshore passages. I'm absolutely making sure I know what to do there. Um, yeah. But yeah. Like if you don't have a decent, um, but it's the, the, Hydro vane that you, sorry, not hydro vane, that's the brand name, the, the wind vane that you had, that did not have its own rudder that was connected to. No, it, it does. And that, that's the, and that's one of the only saving graces I had was that I was always yeah. adamant about only having a auxiliary rudder wind vane, like from yeah. the beginning, because I did a delivery on the East Coast years ago where the captain, we ran ashore, we ran aground on the inside of the outer banks of North Carolina on a sandbar and he like panicked and revved the engine so many times that it ripped the rudder off instead of just waiting for high tide and we watched the rudder yeah. pop up and float away and like from that moment on oh, i was like i'm only going to have a wind vane with an auxiliary rudder and mm. so the problem with looking for those is there's not many of those systems that exist so the modern version is a hydro vane which is the best in my opinion that you can buy but i could yeah. not afford a hydro vane because they're very expensive they're they're a wonderful piece of gear but they're very expensive. So I found the next best option, which was a Salomat wind vane on eBay for like $1,900. And um, since it's from 1972, it has problems with age and, and parts wearing out. Yeah, I think the hydro vanes now, I think they're in dollars, $6,000, $7,000 maybe? Yeah. Something yeah. like that. They're probably, but they're amazing. They it's, are incredible. And I've sailed with them before on other boats. They're they're the best the yeah. best like we went from so i took my um i went with my friends from mainland spain to the canary islands which was like five days and i i'd seen hydro veins i'd been on the website i'd checked them out online and i was like oh yeah whatever you know you got autopilot that's good enough and like to actually to watch one work and to see it steer a boat downwind in like 30 knots and like four meter seas perfectly they, they are, they're a work of art. Like you look at the mechanics and the bearings moving and the pivots and it's just like, oh my God, like it, it, there's so much perfection in such a small thing. <laughs> they're amazing. They're incredible. Yeah, and those, especially hydro vanes, they're on so many of these solo race boats um, yeah. and they just work. 
you know, and they don't draw any electricity, which is the key is they just do their job. You know, as long as they're new and well-maintained and they're, it's incredible. It's so simple, but absolutely necessary for ocean sailing. Yeah, absolutely. It's like the, um, the one that my friends have got, um, you need to wash it down with fresh water, like after every sail, and that's it. That's all you need to do to it. Um, you don't mm-hmm. need to like lubricate it or anything. Or I don't think. I mean, hopefully, nobody takes me seriously on that. I don't <laughs> think. You'll yeah, do anyway. but, <laughs> but like you're saying, there's there's minimal maintenance, which is yeah incredible. Yeah, yeah, and it's like yeah, to change your course slightly, you just literally pull on a little bit of string, like a, a few centimeters, and then that's it. You've just like corrected, you know, corrected your course. Yeah, they're absolutely yeah. amazing. Um, right. So how, how long, how much extra, how many extra days did the journey take because of the steering system breaking? Do you think? I think, I think I could, I think the passage would have taken me about 22 or 23 days. Yeah. And it took me 32 days. So my guess is nine or 10 days extra because I couldn't with the drogue, I couldn't carry enough sail to really get the speed that I could have gotten in the trade winds. Um, right. without overpowering the drogue. So I was like kind of limping. Do what? What were you averaging when the drogue was set up? Um, like three and a half knots to four knots. Um, oh, okay. And then with, with surfing, it was more. But my boat, previous to that, I was doing about four and a half to five knots was my kind of average speed. She's pretty slow. I mean, full, full keel boat. And, um, yeah, but I think once I got in the trades with the following seas, I may have averaged five and a half to six. I mean, definitely mm. there were days, even with the drug where when I was, there was big wind and we were surfing, I was doing six and seven knots for hours. No, brilliant. Yeah. So it definitely yeah. knocked a bit of, um, bit of time off the journey then. No, it's good yeah. one. Like I, I would just encourage anybody who sails, I would encourage them to watch that, especially if they're going to try and do any type of offshore sailing. Because not not only is it just like an incredible passage to do, but see uh, to see someone go through such like a disastrous situation, and then just come up with this like ingenious, you know, with, with the help of like short team, of course, but like yeah. come up with this, this ingenious way to what well, what is effectively a strange shaped bucket, um, you know, yeah. to to take your boat a thousand miles across an ocean with that for steering. It was like that's crazy. It's so good to watch. Yeah. And it's, and a number of like, like old school sailors have been like, I don't know if anyone's done it that far for that long solo. Um, so I'd be interested to know if anybody else has, has had the great misfortune of being, having worse luck than me, I would love to hear from you. But um, yeah, it's, yeah. Um, I definitely, and, and anyone, like you were saying, anyone, they should check out the how to sell by drogue uh, on my channel, because I also made a PDF manual that explains the whole setup what you need different versions that you could do and it's going to vary from boat to boat but everything that i learned in that time and i'm pretty good at sailing with a drogue at this point <laughs> i hope i never have to use it again, but... <laughs> it might, might be the best in the world at sailing with a drogue at this point <laughs> yeah yeah i wonder if you can not the best the bragging book of records yeah. yeah yeah i wonder yeah. if you can contact the guinness book of records and be like can i I, I don't know it work, but yeah. is it okay if I, I enter know. by accident? <laughs> I, just, I, mean? I just, yeah, I, I just, I just want this record. I just want to help people that might, you know, to be prepared in case something happens. Because especially with a boat with a wheel steering, it's not difficult to lose steering. 
you know? Yeah. And uh, the funny thing is like, I generally don't touch on it, but there were so many trolls on YouTube that I deal with, but there were so many trolls on the first attempt video where they're like, you're such a wimp. You should have just done sheet to tiller. And I'm like, she like sheet to tiller is a cute trick on the lake or, you know, but you're not going to sell 2,200 miles efficiently with running your jib sheet to your tiller. Like, in a pinch yeah. sure but and the funny thing is like everybody that was busting my balls about turning back because i was you know my wind vane failed that early on which i'm smart so i'm like well i'm not gonna if it's failing at 200 miles i'm not gonna go 2,000 miles with a failing wind vane like i'm gonna go back and fix it so yeah. but had i gone on with sheet to tiller i wouldn't have had that option anyway because the rudder failed because i end up striking something so yeah it's funny yeah it's not it's not the type of thing that no i'm I don't think that would have worked. Not for that amount yeah. of time. I mean, no. There's, no, there's no way you could have slept. You would have been exhausted. Uh, if you would just be off course. Coming. Yeah. It's a, like I said, it's a cute party trick. But other than that, it's yeah. like not very realistic. And only no. people that haven't yeah. done ocean sailing or been in, you know, eight to 10 foot seas running hard and like 20 mm. knots of wind every three hours. I'm like, not realistic. Yeah, I always wonder, like with the uh, with the Facebook commenters or the uh, the YouTube commenters, how many of them have actually been in that situation that they're criticizing this person for not handling as they would do. do you, know what I mean? you can <laughs> you can comments. you can always tell who has been deceived. It's yeah. very easy. It is very yeah, we, easy. Yeah, we, we I was talking with a couple of my friends about it, and they they do a channel, and we were saying, you know, we, we should do like a dickhead contest at the end of every month. Just find like the most stupid comment and offer them an award, like see if they'll collect yeah. it for being the biggest idiot in the comment section. <laughs> I know I'm, I'm tempted to read some of the really hateful comments towards me, like the mean tweets that they do on on whatever. But oh, um, yeah, I don't want, I don't want to encourage that kind of behavior, so. <laughs> yeah but you do the right thing you put them on instagram you make make a joke out of them which is like yeah it's the only way you can deal with it i mean i don't, I don't know why anybody because some of the ones that people say to you is they're stupid they're like commenting on your hair i'm like why would why would this guy give a shit about this person's hair i mean <laughs> and like the worst the worst ones i've never even posted for you know like people telling me that i should kill myself because of the way i look like crazy stuff oh, and it's oh pretty God, regular so pretty regular yeah. and so it's like they're, you know, and I only recently started sharing some of them on Instagram. And mostly it's so that I want people to understand what like vloggers or people who share their lives online. It's not just like sunshine and rainbows and like people being like, that was an awesome video. It's like, there's a fair amount of abuse that comes along with it. And also yeah. maybe then it's like, if, if you're like, you see someone who you see a video that annoys you or do they do something that annoys you? Maybe you'll think and be like, eh, maybe I don't need to say what I'm going to say. You know what I mean? I mean, my yeah, mom yeah. raised us. She's like, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. Um, yeah. So, golden rule. you know. Yeah. But, Mike, there was a quote from, I'm sure it was Mike Tyson. It was like the worst thing about Facebook or something. I don't know if he was talking about a specific social media platform. The worst thing about commenting is that it's made people think that they cannot like a dick and not get punched in the face. I was like, that's, that's pretty accurate. <laughs> that's a really good way that's, to explain it. Yeah, I can assure you that 99.9% .9 of the people that say the things that say to me online would not say it to my face. So, yeah, yeah. Pretty, pretty sure. I, I, don't, I really don't understand that whole that whole way of thinking. Like, Because the, the way I look at people that make 
like YouTube videos and like the video you've done on steering by Job, that could literally save someone's life. Like somebody's kids could be alive in 10 years time because some guy watched your video. Right? Yeah. That is literally, it could, that could, you know, that's reality. It could be like that. Um, I'm like, if, the, if these people are willing to like allow other people to learn from their misfortunes or their mistakes and they'll put together, you know, like an educational video at the end of it, that's fantastic. I, I don't know why people aren't just, you know, littering these comment sections of like, oh, thank you, sir. This is so nice. <laughs> but you get yeah. And I mean, the, so the majority, yeah, the majority are, is that, you know, is really positive, mm. especially the passage video. I was, I've been like blown away by the response to the passage video. Yeah, it's and really like good. people, it, but it's, it's, it's amazing. There's over a thousand comments at the moment. And everyone is so nice. And it's, yeah. And the percentage of haters on that video for some reason is very small compared to normal. Um, yeah. So I've just been like completely blown away. And also like I did address my marriage ending in the video and I did not want to address my marriage ending in the video, but I felt like it gave sort of like, I needed to set up the fact that I was dealing with something very intense in my head that was yeah. outside of what I was dealing with with the boat especially when I got to the point of steering loss so like I thought it was important for the story for everyone to know that there was a lot more happening than just me trying to fix broken things on the sailboat but and I remember just like and I premiered the video so I watched it everyone watched it the first time together in real time and I had a chat going and like when <laughs> When the scene came up where I talk about what happened, I cringed. I was just like, oh, I hate that this is happening right now. But I thought it was necessary for the story. And in the book that I'm writing, I go into far more detail about that whole aspect, which I think has a better place in the written word than it does on a YouTube video. Um, that was the other thing is tricky to edit a video 32 days long into an hour long format. Um, yeah. And in the end, I had no, and I still kind of have no, I can't understand the scope of what happened um, mm. or what I went through. And I don't know if that's a survival thing or if it's where my head was at due to like being brokenhearted or, or what. But so I really didn't know. I'd, I'd lived the footage and seen it so much. And I've done so many, I've done 200 videos on, on YouTube. So when I put the video out, the only scene I was like, this is awesome, is the scene with the tuna. <laughs> like the rest of it, yeah. I was really like, I was like, I don't know if this is going to be interesting to anyone or if this is boring. And like seeing people's comments and like tons of people who got like YouTube pitched it out to who don't even aren't interested in sailing or know anything about sailing. They're like, like one person, I love their comment. They're like, this just started playing after another video. We were trying to go run errands and like we started watching it and we watched the full hour, even though we had some place to be and we never, we didn't even know who you were and we couldn't look away. And for me, that was like so interesting. Cause like, obviously my regular subscribers who have followed along watching me get to this point of full-time cruising, I understood where, you know, I mean, an hour long video is hard for anyone to watch. So I understood why my my people who like were already interested in my my path would watch it. But I was like, it's been amazing to see complete strangers who maybe don't even know or care about sailing to be like, 
I couldn't stop watching the video and I'm very grateful. <laughs> I'm glad that this story came out and people are connecting with it. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, though, I, I don't know if you intended it in, in, I don't, I mean, I don't know if you intended to make it as like a sailing video or if you intended to make it a video about somebody who is actually going on a journey, not a journey as in, okay, you know, you just go down the street or whatever, but like an, like an emotional journey, a physical journey, something that this person's been aiming for for years and years and years. But it's very obvious when you watch it that that is what it's about. It's not just about a boy on a boat. Like you can tell that there is more depth to it and there's a story there. Not necessarily that, you know, you and your life, you and your wife broke up or anything, because that obviously isn't addressed throughout the entire thing, or all you do address it. But it is obvious that there is a much bigger story going on. Um, yeah, it's brilliant to watch. It's it's, it's amazing. Yeah, it is, it is really yeah. cool. So, so do you, obviously, I know that when you first wanted to get to Hawaii, it was a little bit of a stopgap to then go to the more um, northern latitudes, I suppose. But now yeah. you're doing a bit of like anchorage hopping and tropical island tinkering. Is What's the plan? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I've learned my lesson about... I've learned my lesson about announcing my plans. But um, yeah. what I will say is that um, for the time being, I'm going to be here in Hawaii and exploring everything I can explore and filming it and sharing it with everyone. And um, I actually leave tomorrow morning. So I did a jury repair on the rudder. I had stainless steel tangs made, strap tangs. Um, so oh, I bolted and I dove on the boat. I hammered those into place. I spent three hours underwater doing a temporary repair on the rudder. Um, used a hand drill to drill through the rudder and through bolt these tangs in place. I was going to ask place. how you did that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was, okay. I, I have like a whole new respect for like old timey shipwrights because it was like very, very difficult. But um, yeah. so tomorrow is my first big adventure. Um, I'm here in, uh, uh, in Honolulu and um, tomorrow morning I leave and I'm just going to, I'm just going to, do a short motor up to just, you can anchor right off of Waikiki beach, which is where I anchored when I first came in and I'm going to anchor there for the night and just kind of that way I can fill out the rudder situation in the daylight. And then the next morning, if that's all chill, I'll haul up very early and have to beat up the channel into the trade winds and the seas um, and get up to the east side of Oahu to Kaneohe, um, which is a gorgeous anchorage. And um, I'll be there for like three days and then uh, I'll leave there and I'm going to circumnavigate Oahu stopping at every bay and anchorage that I can and filming everything and just exploring. And um, then when I get back around this way, um, I'll, I'll re readdress the plans from there. Do you think, I mean, you, you don't need to, to say what your plans are, but what, what would you like to do with your plans? Would you prefer to go like east or west? What are you thinking? Um, yeah, so yeah, yeah, I'm hesitant to say at the moment because going back is too easy. I, I definitely have, I definitely have plans, but um, life is so up in the air. A lot of it, a lot of what I want to do has to do with how this temporary rudder fix works. Um, right. So I definitely have to rebuild and the entire rudder and also have to have my rudder, my tiller shaft completely new and fabricated because the one I have is bronze. When I dove on the boat, you could see it was solid pink, which means that it's totally done. 
it's compromised. Oh, right, okay. So yeah. I have to, so I'm going to have a stainless one made and I'm going to build a rudder, a new rudder myself. Um, whether that be here or in Los Angeles, that's up in the air at the moment. But um, for the time being, especially if my temporary rudder hose holds, then I'm going to be exploring Oahu, Maui, and all the islands um, as long as I can. And then I'll decide what my next step is from there. But um, if I was leaving from Hawaii, like you're asking, um, mm. <laughs> right now, like if I could leave, like if I cho could choose right now, let's say if the boat was fixed, I would love to go to the South Pacific, but everything's still closed. So yeah, it's like there's so little open and, and I don't think they're going to be open in the spring that I can't see sailing all the way to that region and only getting to go to like Fiji and American Samoa. You know, I can't even go to Australia. Like that, that's a huge that's a loss. Idea. That's like massive loss. So I would rather save that region for when kind of life kind of levels out for the world. Um, so if I were to sail from Hawaii in the future, um, I will likely go to the Aleutians or to Kodiak. Yeah. Yeah, that's another thing to consider as well. I mean, obviously Hawaii's part of the US, so you're relatively safe. Uh, I mean, maybe not, because like states kind of do their own thing as well. And some of the states were like wanting to close borders to other states and stuff like during those lockdowns. So I don't know. But yeah, Australia is um, completely on like freak out shut down apparently yeah. there's there's nobody nobody coming in and out i know there's a, there's a few channels gone over there but they've they've had to like do two-week quarantines in hotel and it costs like an insane amount of money so yeah that would be that would be a bit difficult which way if you were going to circumnavigate do you think you would would you want to go pacific and round that way or would you ever be tempted to go down caribbean other way around no i mean like the way of for the last however many years like my my current route that I want to take, if, if I can like work things out the way I want to do it, is I want to sail to the Aleutians and do as much as Alaska as I can in the short cruising season that exists there. And then down the coast, Mexico, Costa Rica, Panama, Galapagos, and then back to the mainland, go down to Chile, do all the connect, like inner waterways of Chile, like the Roths did. And um, yeah. then like sneak out at the bottom and I say sneak around Cape Horn because um, I'm in a 30 foot boat and I've read enough accounts of small boats getting capsized down in the southern edge. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I want to I want to go down, you know, see Cape Horn from the sea. Um, however, that's possible for me to do in my little boat and then um, cruise, you know, explore that region until the seasons change and then head up um, the coast of Brazil and then into the Caribbean. And on from there and then cross the Atlantic. But I'm more interested in kind of cruising up the Americas and doing Greenland and Iceland mm. and like doing that route rather than cutting across to the Canaries. It's doing, it's, it's going to new places as well. It's like the typical, like the Caribbean is just a vacation resort as is the Canaries, as is, you know, the entire coast of the States. It's like, I mean, to do what you just said, like do Chile, Brazil, Cape Horn, that is pushing it. It's but you're pushing it from a sailing point of view, exploring, seeing new things, like you can develop, you're seeing better cultures. Um, that is like that's something I'd be excited about. Uh, rather than like I said before, like the idea of spending like five years in the Caribbean just it's not exciting. Yeah. I think there's only so much yeah. you can get from it. 
yeah, it's not, it's not my jam. Like for me, the like two places I really, really, really want to see is like Chile and the Aleutians. <laughs> and they're kind of similar. They're both real gnarly. And um, I actually outfitted my boat for those places, including my ground tackle. Like I have a 45 pound mantis with uh, 300 feet of chain and 200 feet of rope road. Like yeah. I'm ready for nine scope in 40, 60 knots of wind. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah. And then places like Greenland and Iceland and everything, you know, um, mm. that's like very interesting to me. And, you know, sure this boat is not high latitudes boat, but there are people that have taken way sketchier boats into way sketchier places than that. So yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, if you have a sleeping bag and a, and a good few layers, little diesel heater, uh, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. You could have a look. Exactly. <laughs> so, but, you know, but with cruising, like, you never know what curveball is going to come. So that's definitely what I've learned is, like, you just got to be flexible. Yeah. You got to be flexible. Do you, do, you, so, do you want to do all this solo sailing, or would you ever be tempted to take on a crew or bring some friends aboard, or is, is it a solo mission for you? Um. I would like, in all honesty, obviously I'd rather do it with someone that I loved because yeah. half the joy of like seeing these impossibly beautiful places is getting to turn to someone and be like, can you sure. believe what we're seeing right now? Um, yeah. But I am, that is not in the cards for me <laughs> in, in even the near future. That's like, it'll be a long time I before I can fall into that zone. And, and it's like, especially it's such an unstable life and it's a small boat. It's a 30 foot boat. So I have no interest in trying to convince someone of joining me on a very uncomfortable life. That's a, that's a thing that I realized, especially ocean sailing in a small boat is like, you have to be very comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. Like you have to want to be uncomfortable almost. <laughs> because yeah, it's going to happen so much. You have to, yeah, you have to love and be interested in, the experience, mm. an experience that so few people ever get, that has to be so important to you that you can overlook rolling gunnel to gunnel for 30 days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think though, do you know, do you know the thing is, it's like if you got out of the States and you got out of like the UK and like Western Europe, there is way more people that are interested in this type of stuff. Because yeah. these countries are too comfortable. Everything's too yeah. easy. Uh, for you know, sure. It's like, oh, should we go to Chile? Well, yeah, let's just get a flight. We'll go in the afternoon. We'll put it on the credit card. Like, there's no excitement in that. You know? <laughs> Do you know yeah. what I mean? That's, like, that's sure. like the Western mindset. I think as soon as you start exploring the world, like you'll meet way more interesting people for sure. Um, yeah. But yeah, well, and I'm the funny, forward like, to coming into the med. <laughs> yeah, me like too. Yeah, on one of the blogs on my tracker, um, and a lot of the blogs on my tracker will end up as passages in the, the greater book that I'm writing. Um, but one of the blogs I wrote, you know, like you imagine a friend calling you up and being like, Hey, do you want to drive from Los Angeles to Pittsburgh at three miles an hour? Sometimes we're going to go four miles an hour. It's like, you would be like, are you insane? I would never want to do that. That is terrible. And that's exactly ocean sailing. It's like, but you also get to see albatross. So. Yeah, there's there's a few nicer things to it. I, I always laugh because like whenever I um I, I always sail by myself. Sometimes I, I go out by myself, but generally my wife is taking care of my kid on the boat. So I, I manage the boat and then she manages the kid. And it's like, you know, we'll get somewhere and it's been like a day 
and she, and she's like, oh, so where are we now? I'll be like, oh, we're here. And then she's like, it would take an hour to get you in a car. Like, yeah, yeah but that's not the point. You know, <laughs> it's like, we're in a little exactly. house. Exactly. Look around. It's really pretty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they, they, have, uh, they have to they have to want want to be on a boat, want to travel by boat. And it, it's like you said before, it's just like that, the, the experience of, uh, you know, just feeling your home move and it's nature pushing you. Uh, you have to get a kick out of that. You, you have to. Yeah. Well, and also, we live in the future. So we can be anywhere we want within X number of hours if we have money to do so. And the idea of like forcibly slowing down, forcibly dialing back and like disconnecting from looking at social media all day and the news and whatever, and just like bombarded by any information that you want to know to like forcibly dial back to this crawl. Um, there's something beautiful about that. Yeah, I mean, that's the way it's meant to be, really. Um, you know, we've been like that for the majority of time. I don't know how long we've existed, but it's definitely only in like the last 10 years that we've turned into these like, you know, social media obsessed robots and every, everyone's watching the news too much and stuff. It's, it's, it's a very recent thing that, that you know, we've started yeah. doing this. But yeah, it, it's brilliant to get to that point where you can just like focus out. And even when some like sometimes we'll pull into an anchorage and there's no data and I'm like, okay, we can't Google something. And then, you know, the day goes by and it's like, God, I've, I've looked at the sun for like so much more today. Or, or, I've, or I've looked in the water or I've stared at that, you know, cliff edge. Yeah. And, and that's amazing. It, it was so nice doing that. And what would I have done if I had done that? Well, I'd just be Googling random bullshit that my wife's talking about. Oh, what's this? Or, I don't know. Let's Google it. And um, yeah, you're missing out. Yeah, you are. Yeah. You're missing out. You're, you're accruing useless knowledge. And um, yeah, it's like, at what expense? Just look around you instead. You know, it's, it's much better. Yeah, yeah. There's, 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 a lot, there's a lot to see if we can slow down and kind of look at the details. Yeah. What's, can you just give, uh, obviously, I imagine you won't want to give too much away, but just like a brief synopsis of the book you're writing. Is this a book specifically about sailing or is it more about your life experiences? The, the sort of big book is about this last passage um, nice. and about the failed attempt and about my marriage falling apart, leading me to this passage that ended up being ill-fated um, and even diving into like, you know, my past as a, like, I, I lived homeless on the streets of Los Angeles and, and train hopped all over the Southwest as a, as a teenager. So it ties in a lot of things with that because there's there's interesting sort of parallels between being homeless and cruising um this is a lot more comfortable than sleeping on in trains but there's um some interesting things that correspond in my youth um like as a homeless youth it was like the least stressful time of my life because you don't you don't need to own a watch you know what i mean it comes yeah. down to like almost being nomadic because Every day, all you need, like your only concern is like, okay, I need to eat today. I have no other concerns. Um, yeah. And as long as you're, you can keep yourself safe. And I, I, I've been sober my whole life. So it wasn't like I was, you know, drugs didn't come into play. So that would be a different equation for homeless youth. But for me, that wasn't part of the equation. So, so it's, yeah, it's interesting. So there's some parallels in the book about that and also about, you know, my love for my wife and the 
you know, what led to the ending of our marriage and the passage and everything that happened in the passage. And I also dive into like all of the history of different aspects of sailing that I've read about and how I applied them during this crazy passage event. And um, yeah. so that's, that's the big book and it'll be, I have 20,000 words written so far. It'll be like 80,000 words in the end. And, um, nice. but I'll be shopping that to like major publishers for like a, an actual book deal and not, I've published a number of books previously, like self-published and I'll continue to self-publish books. But um, this book specifically, I'll be shopping to like bigger publishers. Yeah. How long have you been writing for? Mm, I think I really started writing probably in 2005, maybe. Oh, a long time. I, yeah, I was a taxi driver in LA at night um, back in 2005. And I kept a, like a regular blog online of like once a week of everything that I experienced during my taxi driving and that people really enjoyed it so then i published it as a short like a short run paperback i started like a short run paperback uh series where we would publish 100 or 200 copies of perfect down paperbacks and um sold them through like barnes and nobles website and through different small bookstores and stuff um and then i yeah so i published a number of different books through that um both mine and of other people and um then i wrote like uh the first paid writing gig i did i wrote for juxtapose magazine about an artist and then for the arts i wrote for the huffington post for a long time um very cool yeah so and then the all the journals like my ship's logs and stuff from that first solo passage to santa cruz island that i published that as my first sailing book i don't know a year or so ago so that's yeah. available print on demand um yeah and then i have like three books happening i'm working on right now so Hopefully two of them will be out by the end of the year. The cruising guide for Southern California's islands yeah. is coming out um, where it's like detailed stories about, I think, I think it was 20, 22 or 25 anchorages in Southern California that I visited. And it's like nice. basic information about you need to know about the anchorage. And then a long story about my experience, either solo or traveling with my wife to those anchorages. So that was the one thing I noticed about other cruising guides, which I think is necessary, is that they give you just the facts. Um, yeah, and totally. so in my cruising guide, I say out in the front, I'm like, this should go correspond with like proper cruising guides. But something that I found of value talking to other cruisers is their stories about an anchorage affects yeah. how I'm prepared when I go there. And a lot of these cruising guides don't tell you their experiences. They're just like, okay, this is the depth. This is, you know, the landscape. This is what you want to look at when you come in. And so I want to produce a book that's a little different, that tells you the story about the good, the bad, and the ugly about anchorages so that you can at least know what my experience is. And the age old saying is you can never visit the same anchorage twice, yeah. which is I found to be true in some anchorages, but there are definitely some anchorages where it's a nightmare every time I've been there. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the, the yeah the, the the opposite of that is that that's the case. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that man, that's going to be really interesting. That's that's going to be a really good book. I, I will look forward to reading that one. I'm sure. Yeah, especially um, like all the the Southern California, all my friends in Southern California, they're they're all like stoked for that to come out because they watched all the videos. Um, mm. So to have like a written detailed account that you can have printed or as an ebook that you can have on the boat 
you know, when you're coming into these anchorages. Um, and I'll con I will likely continue to do that for regions where I've felt like I've been there long enough to release it. Um, for instance, here in Hawaii, um, there's a guy, I can't remember the guy's name, but there's a, a thing called Noodles Notes. And this dude has been sailing these islands for like 40 years or something. And he put out a simple PDF cruising guide. And that I printed it out spiral bound. And um, mm. it gives so much rad information. And so that one and then this one for Hawaii um, is a fantastic book. Oh, that is big. Um, yeah. So, um, and, I, and I'm a big fan of like cruising guides. And they're generally pretty expensive but the amount of knowledge you get inside it can't you know especially like you're saying you go to an anchorage there's no cell service you have a paper copy of the book you're like okay like what do we expect you know what kind of depths are we looking at what's the bottom look like what do we need to know yeah i mean you hit the point there like they are expensive like i mean like the ones for europe if you want to and they because the place is so big and there are so many different things to see here they don't usually cover that much ground I don't know, they're like $80, $90, maybe something like that. But yeah, if you think yeah. of how much knowledge, not just knowledge, like how much research, how much data collection, uh, how many people have had to take boats out and like, you know, scout the bottom of these anchorages where sand, where's a rock, that type of stuff. Like, there's yeah. a lot goes into making these things. Just writing the book, man, it's like trying to finish this one has been just like so brutal. And I'm like, a terrible businessman so i'm gonna make it as cheap as possible because i want people to have access to it but just putting the book together is like wow and i i mean that's all i did on my whole passage is like i edited on the film you know i processed the videos that i was shooting every day edited video and i wrote like that's all i did the whole passage was like either writing you know on three uh, on any three of these different books that i'm working on so but yeah and the other tricky thing for me with this cruising guide is like now I'm to the stage, all the text is written. I'm pulling a bunch of photos. So there'll be four or five photos per anchorage and having yeah. to dig through photos of like me and my happy family, <laughs> like <laughs> such a, <laughs> such a bummer. It is like such torture. Um, but I just got to get through. I wanted to be out take some new photos. Do what? You might have to send some friends out there and take some nah. new photos. No, and it's fine. It's like, you know, but it is like, wow, that is just terrible. <laughs> but um, yeah, but it fits into yeah. the bigger story, like the, the, the bigger story that you're writing, it, you know, what, what's got you to this point is what's happened before. So it's, it's all relative to where you are now. Yeah, for sure. You know, and I like. I like sharing things that happen to me, whether they're good or bad, you know, yeah. um, I, I have a couple of different stories online. I've almost died many times. I kind of live right on the brink of survival for most of my life. But I, I have a video on YouTube channel that I think is very important where I almost drowned on off San Miguel Island and Camille, my, my soon to be ex-wife saved me, saved my life. And, um, we sit down and tell that story. And, um, like most people, their ego wouldn't allow them to, to be like, yeah, I did this stupid thing and I almost died and my wife had to save me. But for me, like that has no, like, I just want to share what happened to us because it was very simple that put us in the situation where I almost died that I want to make sure that anyone can see this will be like, okay, I'm going to make sure that I don't get myself in that situation. So it's like, yeah, I don't mind. Like I have no ego attached to the fact that 
I made a stupid mistake and, you know, that was the result. So, yeah. But yeah, it's like I said before, you know, it could be the, like you don't know how many, especially when you're doing these types of videos that are showing people how to get out of bad situations or just how to stay safe in general. You don't know how many potential lives you might save just by people watching yeah. YouTube and looking at that type of stuff. Um, yeah. Just basic things like what, what to do with the line when you're not using it, you know, wrap it up and put it back. Don't don't leave it hanging around the cockpit. Um, you know, all you need is one video of a guy on YouTube getting his leg wrapped up because, it, you know, I don't know, something happens and he gets flung across a cockpit or whatever and you, and you learn it could save your life, it, falling overboard drills, that type of stuff. And um, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like, especially with sailing and even more so with solo sailing, the smallest domino can fall and it's this cascade yeah. of events that takes place that can be deadly. So, yeah, yeah you have to be like on point at all times. It's like, the key is like not rushing, not taking risks, and being prepared before you set off. That's that's like the best you can do, really. Yeah, for me, it's just keeping the boat like as clean as possible. Not you know, not like not leaving a bag of chips somewhere or anything like that, but just making sure that you know where the you know you know where the winch handles are. You know where all the lines are. They're all wrapped up nicely. That type of stuff. Just just keep it in like as perfect shape as possible because all, all it takes is a slip and you put your hand in the wrong place. And yeah, you haven't got a friend on board. You screwed. Like something yep. really, yeah, yeah, really terrible. I mean, happen. yeah, keeping it ship shape is very important and um, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. So listen, all right, it's been it's been a great chat. I'm I'm really looking forward to reading this book eventually at some point whenever you do the next 60,000 words <laughs> might, might take a while but I'm looking forward to it and uh, I'm looking forward to watching your passage video again <laughs> think, thank you oh, thanks for watching I appreciate week, it yeah 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 I'm, I'll be I'll be making sure everybody I talk to about uh, passage making is going to is going to be watching that because uh, it's, it's really yeah. valuable and it's it's uh, it's a great watch it's really brilliant so yeah thanks I- thanks for putting it online yeah, and I'm excited to share these gorgeous islands and show people far less dramatic and hopefully boring videos of me in beautiful places. <laughs>